chapter 55 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, we find out the lengths one author went to in researching her book about the science of awkwardness. I guarantee you some of her methods will make you cringe. Then we get the scoop on the latest not-to-be-missed thriller from Claire McIntosh. To write cringeworthy, a theory of awkwardness, New York Magazine science editor Melissa Dahl subjected herself to situations that I think would make most people blush, wince, and run in the other direction. Or maybe that's just me. I quizzed her about her experiences when she swung by our studios for an interview. What? first drew you to write about awkwardness? <laughs> I mean, you know, they do say write what you know. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's a few things. So, I mean, sincerely, it is it is a feeling that has kind of driven me nuts as long as I can remember, you know, just kind of feeling just kind of like unsure of what to do and kind of really self-conscious and not sure what to say next. Um, and so, so that was part of it. And then also um, the other piece of it is I've, I've been a science and health writer for um, more than a decade now. And something I've always really loved about the job is uh, I'll have these questions about how the mind or the body works and I, I get to go find the answers, which is really cool. Um, and I just couldn't find satisfying answers to these questions I had, you know, like why do we cringe at the sound of our own voices um, or why does like a a memory of something that happened like 20 years ago come back and still make me just as embarrassed now as I was then. Um, yeah, I just couldn't find like a single theory or satisfying set of answers. So I just kind of set out to find my own. And in the book, you make the argument that awkwardness is an emotion rather than a trait. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. Um, you know, there certainly are awkward people, quote unquote, out there who kind of bumble around. Um, but what what was interesting to me was more the feeling inside me <laughs> during these moments um because i think a lot of like awkward people people who who just aren't even you know people who maybe like ask a ask a woman when she's due and she's not pregnant or something and just keep on going they they maybe are what we would call awkward people but i don't think they feel it themselves and so um it just became more interesting to me just think of it as a feeling. So we have to talk about your research process yeah. <laughs> because you really did your due diligence. You spoke to experts in the field, but you also put yourself through some really awkward moments. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about the things that you did yeah. in the name of this book. Yeah. So one of the things I did um, as I was researching the book, I came across this show called Mortified where um, people get up on stage and read their journals from their awkward teenage years. And I avoided it for a really long time. And then um, I kind of went to go hang out with them for a day. And my mom had heard that I was doing this. And she's like, oh, I just found a box of your old journals. Why don't you, you know? And so so I ended up being in the show, too, which was ridiculous. <laughs> and you had a whole week of awkwardness, too. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end of kind of my, um, my research, like I said, this has been a feeling that has driven me nuts for as long as I can remember. And then just nothing was phasing me anymore, uh, which is which is awesome. But I just was like, what would kind of bring the feeling back? So I kind of was trying as many things as I as I could. That was the idea of kind of the the week of awkward, just to try as many things as I could that seemed awkward and see how I did in them. Kind and of. you did learn that your awkwardness isn't totally gone because you had that you talk about that one thing, that, <laughs> the cuddling. Yes, yes. So this week was just kind of a grab bag of 
of weirdness. Um, and during during this week, um, I was just kind of like trying to like up the ante, you know, like what would make me feel uncomfortable, what would make me kind of feel awkward. Um, and I came across uh, some articles about uh, professional cuddlers and journalists always note how it's kind of become like almost a cliche over the last couple of years where like journalists will do like a first person story about these and they'll always note how awkward the experience is. So I was like, all right, perfect. Um, and so I did one or I went to meet up with one and I lasted like I, not even 10 minutes. I just like flipped out and like, <laughs> and I, like left. So. <laughs> so during your book, I, I had myself thinking me too a lot, whether it's the journals or remembering back to something that happened like years ago and it wakes you up in the middle of the night and then you can't fall asleep again. Yes. Has that been a common reaction to your book? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean. When I was recording the audiobook, actually, the um, the producer kept interrupting me to be like, oh, my gosh, this reminds me of this time when I did this. And I'm like, cool, OK, can I get back to like recording? Um, or I was recording a video for something at Penguin, and, and one of the women behind the camera was like, oh, that reminds me of this one time I did this in college. So which is kind of cool. It kind of is the ended up being the point of the book. This is like a weird little feeling that we all have. So and that being said. Do you have like a tip for people who maybe want to overcome the awkwardness a little bit in certain situations? Yeah. So something that is has been really helpful for me, um, there is so there isn't a lot of research, like I said, studying awkwardness directly, but there are kind of some things around it, you know, and one of the aspects of awkwardness is certainly self-consciousness. And there's all this literature in this in um, uh, you know academic journals linking self-consciousness to nervousness and nervousness to self-consciousness, and they kind of exacerbate each other and just spins you round and round. And I called it the awkwardness vortex in the book. Um, so the folks who study this say that if this is in part caused by self-consciousness, then the key to breaking out of it is just focusing on anything but yourself, you know? So these are moments like you are going into a job interview and suddenly you just like forget how to hold a coffee cup or you just like, you're like, am I sitting weird? You know, like, are they looking at my hair? What's going, you know? And so the way to get out of that is just to focus on the person in front of you or focus on kind of zoom out and focus on the big picture. Maybe beforehand think of like, okay, this is like the one thing I, I want to get across about this job and, and why I'm perfect for it. Um, uh, so, so that should help focusing on anything but yourself. And the pointer sisters can help too, right? <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah, yeah. there's this awesome research um, that says uh, that basically in your body, nervousness and excitement feel the same. You know, your heart is pumping, you might be getting a little sweaty. And that's your body just kind of sensing that something big is coming up and I better I better get ready for this. And so there, there's some cool research on this where um, they had one group of people try to tell themselves to calm down, you know, and they had the other group of people just roll with the the feeling just but but telling themselves like this is excitement. Um, so so something I uh, I can't believe I wrote this in the book, but something I sometimes do if I have a, a big meeting or something I'm nervous about is I'll um, I'll listen to the I'm so excited on Spotify before I go in. It really helps. It pumps you up and also like kind of gets you into like you said that excited mindset, yeah, or the nervous mindset. Exactly, and it's a little silly, so I think that's kind of fun too. It just helps me lighten up. In the end, should we really just stop taking ourselves so seriously and learn to laugh at ourselves? Oh. Absolutely. I mean, that is a lesson I have had to learn over and over again in my life just to like lighten up, you know, <laughs> and I think that was something that I kind of came to learn in writing this book too. just, um, yeah, if you can laugh at yourself, then this isn't going to bother you so much. And I think also by laughing at yourself, you're not, you're not diminishing, maybe you really did put your foot in your mouth or something, but 
not being so hard on yourself for it really has helped me. So. So after writing this book, would you say you're not as awkward as you used to be or you know how to manage it better? I know how to manage it better. It doesn't bother me as much anymore. It just if you kind of make a joke about it or or just kind of, again, kind of zoom out and just be like, you know, yeah, that was an embarrassing thing I said, but that's not the most embarrassing thing that's happened even today in New York, you know? <laughs> that's one way to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Melissa Dahl, author of Cringeworthy, A Theory of Awkwardness. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And I'm going to go back and listen to this interview and try not to cringe at the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Let Me Lie is the new roller coaster of a thriller ride from New York Times bestseller Claire McIntosh. It's really hard for me to say anything without giving it away. There are just so many twists. So how about I let her tell it? It's it's a hard one to talk about, isn't it? Um, because uh, we don't want to spoil anything. But the so let me lie is a standalone psychological thriller. It is partly narrated by uh, Anna, who is a new mum who's struggling to come to terms with the fact that the year previously, both her parents took their own lives uh, by um, throwing themselves off a beachy head, a very famous cliff in uh, in Britain. Um, and when we join Anna. It's the anniversary of her mum's death and she receives an anonymous note which casts doubt over how her parents died. And for Anna, who has always suspected that her parents would never commit suicide, she takes this as confirmation that they were murdered. And so she begins to dig into the past. And just when I think you have it all figured out, you throw in another twist. There are so many in this book. (laughs) I'm a big fan of of twists. I love reading twisty books. And so I suppose it follows that I like to write them as well. And I think that readers nowadays are are so clever. It's deeply frustrating for a a crime writer that readers are so good at solving crimes. We're all armchair detectives. And so uh, our job as, as crime writers is made very, very hard. We need to put in a lot of twists. Where do those ideas come from? I was a police officer for 12 years, and although I don't, I don't necessarily write about real-life cases, uh, my, my debut, I Let You Go, was, was inspired by a real case, but, but really, I, I write fiction. I, I make things up. Um, but I think those 12 years gave me a real insight into how people tick and uh, how much they lie and how twisty and turny real life and real crimes can be. And so that's uh, something that, that I pour into my books now. And that all being said, you make a little note at the end of the book that this particular story had a tiny bit of real world inspiration, correct? Well, it did, but that's re- that's something we really can't talk about because uh, if I if I mentioned the real life case that made me start thinking about this story, it would spoil at least one of the twists. So, so we can't talk about that. But it but it is true that that I saw this um, this was a, a quite a big story in in Britain uh, that I knew about at the time, and then I saw something about it uh, about eighteen months ago, and it just made made me think and quite. A lot of the time with real-life stories, what I'm interested in is not what is reported, but the angles that aren't reported, you know, the people on the periphery, how, how were their lives touched by this incident? And so that's what happened in this case. Thank you for definitely avoiding that little landmine there. <laughs> <laughs> so mental health plays a very large role in this book. How important is it to talk about both the good and the bad of that? 
I think it's hugely important to talk about mental health, and and I. Um, I think that's absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you, you said mental health and not mental illness because we, you know, we all have mental health. It, it's uh, it, it's no different to our, our physical health, and sometimes our mental health is is better in a better condition than than at other times. Um, they, it, it's very rare, actually, that someone will not be touched by mental health in in, in some way. Um, and uh, and in Let Me Lie, it was. It was sort of obvious from the start that there were going to be themes of, of mental health because essentially this is a book about uh, suicide, about two uh, parental suicides. And um, and so that is something that, that runs through the book, what, what drives people to take their own life and, and what impact it has on the people left behind. But then also um, my my detective role. Uh, so Murray McKenzie is uh, is actually a retired detective who's now working as a civilian in the the police force, working on the front desk of, of the police station. And he is uh, a very lovely, very gentle, very experienced man who wants to help Anna. And he's partly driven by his relationship with his wife Sarah who has borderline personality disorder uh, and it's it's something that's just a part of her it's a part of their marriage and I wanted to show a very very healthy very long marriage that has overcome some difficulties uh, and Murray very much loves Sarah not not in spite of her condition but but really because of it because it's it's very much part of her I can't tell you how many times I wanted to reach through the pages and give Murray a hug Oh, thank you. I'm very fond of him. He's actually the only character I've ever written that I've felt sorry to leave. Uh, normally, when I finish a book, I'm I'm ready to move on and ready to meet a new cast of characters. And in this case, I, uh, I there was so much more I wanted to write about Murray. So maybe one day I will. And that leads me to my next question, because having read your books before, I know not to hope for a continuation of uh, the story. So what's next? <laughs> Well, next, next, I can't really talk about because I don't really know. I'm about halfway through the first draft of another book, but I'm a long way off being able to sort of talk about it and uh, and, and share it. I'm, I'm really feeling my, my way a bit. Um, so that's keeping me busy at the moment. Uh, I am sort of playing around with ideas, maybe for, for bringing Murray back in a, uh, a different a different way uh, in, in a series of his own. So I'm, I'm brainstorming lots of ideas at the moment uh, and, of course, doing a lot of um, publicity work around Let Me Lie, both in uh, the UK and, and the States and, and elsewhere. So busy times. I know you've also been keeping busy on uh, Twitter. Uh, you got some attention lately for a pretty bad first date that you live-tweeted. <laughs> That was <laughs> that was insane. I uh, I should know I should know by now that of course when you put something on on Twitter it, it could end up anywhere. But I really did. I was just sitting in in a restaurant, well in a in a bar in a hotel um, after an event that I'd done in the UK, and I was listening to what I thought was a first date um, at the table next to me between two fairly drunk people. Um, and I was just sort of idly sharing some of the, the, the things that they were saying because they, they, were, quite, they were quite extraordinary. Uh, and actually it turned out not to really be a first date, but um, so, uh, an extramarital relationship, <laughs> um, which, uh, yeah. Anyway, so, so I tweeted it and it has ended up, um, I just had a message this morning from a newspaper in Australia that's been covering it. <laughs>
<laughs> so is people watching something you've always done or is that a leftover habit from being a police officer? I I think it's something I've always enjoyed doing. I, I remember as, as a child, um, it's just sitting in parks or libraries or wherever, looking at um, the people around me and making up stories about them. But certainly being a police officer really sort of honed that instinct and uh, finding the story was 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 part of, of a job. I think people imagine that being a police officer is about, you know, arresting people, locking up the bad guys. And actually, it, it's, um, it, it is about finding the story. It's about talking to the victims of crime and figuring out not just what's happened, but why has this happened and what's, what's the effect. And talking to criminals and trying to prize out the truth from them. And so uh, a lot of that over those years has felt like very good training for the job I do now. Well, the book is called Let Me Lie. The author is Claire McIntosh. Thank you for taking some time and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. And in case you were wondering what that noise was at the end of that interview, it was a military airplane. Claire tells me she doesn't live too far from a Royal Air Force station. That's this week's show, short and sweet. We've got a couple of balls in the air for next week, so you'll have to tune in then to find out what we're up to. But if you can't wait, keep an eye on our Twitter and Instagram feeds at WCBS880Books for clues. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can do that at lisat at WCBS880.com. That's L-I-S-A-T at WCBS880.com.